For the week of March 17th, 2017, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I am your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. On this show this week, we talk, as usual, with Rich Smith from The Stranger. This week about the ACA replacement bill and how 8th District Congressman Dave Reichert fits into it. And we talk about Rich's new segment entitled, aptly enough, Reichert Watch. Then we talk with Gail Furman, Sylvia Oliver, and Jerry LeClaire, three principals from Spokane Indivisible. And we will have our dose of good news, plus our weekly call to action. But first, writer Rich Smith joins us now. He writes about local politics, among other things, for the Seattle Weekly Paper, The Stranger. Hello, Rich. Hello. How are you? I'm good, man. So everybody's talking about health care. So let's you and I talk about health care. Uh, on Monday, the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, released their report about the Republican replacement for the ACA, henceforth known here as Trump Care. And uh, it estimates that over the next decade, approximately 24 million would lose coverage, including some 14 million in the next year alone. Uh, those numbers are estimates, of course, but it's certainly not estimating that people are going to gain coverage. Um, you have spent a fair amount of time covering Washington's 8th District Congressman Dave Reichert. Uh, the bill has not gone to a full vote in the House yet, but it has been approved by the House Ways and Means Committee. Um, talk first a little about Reichert's capacity on the House Ways and Means Committee and what his vote in favor of Trump care means there. Um, he is, uh, in the Republican majority on the House Ways and Means Committee, and, uh, his vote meant that, you know, basically he had the opportunity to mark up the bill and, and make changes to it before passing it along to another committee, um, and, uh, the Republicans, after, uh, 18 hours of deliberation, condescending deliberation, if you, if you got a chance to, to, to listen to any of the audio, or video that C-SPAN had, pass it along uh, without without changing much. And yeah. So it just means that it, it, it goes through as it came in, basically. He's telegraphed probably how he's going to vote uh, when it comes to a full vote in the House. I think his you know vote on the committee uh, speaks volumes. But he also talked about it uh, during his Facebook town hall with uh, KCTS, uh, and uh, yeah, so tell us specifically what he said about healthcare during because you you talked about that in your in the article that you wrote for the stranger recently. That's right. Yeah, during that um, uh, that Facebook Live town hall, he like the president uh, <laughs> assured uh, his constituents that no one would lose coverage uh, under the new law, uh, despite the fact that the standard and Poor's and other analyst agencies, and even the white house's own, uh, analysis suggested that at least, uh, that, that millions would, would lose coverage, uh, basically as a result of premiums going up, uh, and especially, uh, based on, uh, and cuts to Medicaid. Well, yeah. Well, and premiums going up in particular for older people. And when that was revealed that that was likely going to happen, the bill gained a very formidable foe in the AARP. Uh, they had a pretty sharp response to the bill itself. Uh, Tell us what they said specifically in a statement. That's right. Yeah. Before the CBO uh, estimate uh, came out, um, the AARP was basically sort of prefigured their estimate by saying that we estimate that the bill's changes to the current law's tax credits um, could increase premium costs for a 55-year-old earning $25,000 by more than $2,300 a year, for a 64-year-old earning 25000 
Um, that increase rises to more than 4400 a year and more than $5,800 for a 64-year-old earning $15,000 a year. I mean, this is just a huge burden for older people. And the AARP was like, rightly cautious about it, mm-hmm. yeah. about about the the passage of this bill i mean it it cuts taxes for for the wealthy and incentivizes young people maybe to go into the health, to buy health care if they want it and i don't know what 20 year old would <laughs> well once they remove the mandate uh most 20 year olds will do what they've always done which is go without most likely that's what i would have done when i was 20 i mean basically the, what the republicans done here have created a worse bill uh, <laughs> a, a worse obamacare bill that gives less benefits than obamacare does and they've created a bad way to pay for it where you take a bunch of money from um from poor people mostly children especially with the medicaid cuts and uh and give it to rich people yeah, it's sort of the opposite of the Robin Hood principle, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, I figure it's too early to get a response from the congressman directly on all of this. Uh, however, you just launched a section of your column called Reichert Watch, which pe- people in the 8th District who listen to this program will be uh, particularly interested in. And, and in fact, uh, on a couple of the Facebook uh, groups that I belong to, people are already talking about it quite a bit. Uh, so let's discuss it. Uh, first of all, tell us what it is and why you were moved to start Reichert Watch. The Reichert Watch is just a list of uh, all of the the things that Dave Reichert's been uh, voting on lately, uh, with along with some light commentary. I mean, you know, uh, basically, I don't think that Reichert gets a lot of coverage for a congressional uh, or for, for 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 a congressman. He's starting so, to. <laughs> yes, yes, well, yeah. And so every time that he takes a party line vote that hurts his constituents, anytime he passes needless uh, legislation, you know, in order to make it look like he's doing something uh, or anytime he does anything uh, untoward at all. I just wanted to add it to this list so that, that we have like a kind of record wiki that keeps <laughs> building and building that people can reference whenever they, uh, you know, go to vote for him next. Good. Well, let's highlight a piece or two from your most recent posting. Um, actually, the very the inaugural posting, uh, I guess. Um, yeah. Many people remember at the beginning of the legislative year, the GOP voted to gut the Office of Congressional Ethics. That was a bellwether if ever I have seen one. Uh, <laughs> how did Reichert vote on that? Reichert was the only uh, uh, Washington Republican uh, to vote to gut the uh, Office of Congressional Ethics. And he did it because basically he thought that uh, by massively defunding uh, that office, it wouldn't change the results uh, of, of, of their work. It, in no way would it uh, relax ethics standards or strip the OCE of, it, of its authority, he said, which is basically crazy to me. I I don't know how you could think that. Well, it's also a very symbolic vote, uh, and it's hard to miss the symbolism of it, I think, uh, as a voter, uh, if the very first thing that the new Congress does is basically vote to pull uh, some sort of oversight committee that keeps them from doing unethical things. I think it sends a very negative uh, message. And so, right. uh, yeah, anyway, so, and I know that he heard about that from his constituents. Um, I just want to highlight a couple couple more uh, votes that you talk about in Reichert Watch. Um, some people on the left have found his pro-environment votes reassuring that uh, he's a moderate. Uh, tell us what you posted about that. 
Yeah, but yeah, and the Times <clears throat> editorial board in their twenty or two thousand six endorsement of him called him a conscious, you know, said that he had a conscious driven independent strength. And as you mentioned, a lot of people believe that you know Reichert's votes on um, conservative efforts, basically to conserve large swaths of land, um, uh, represent kind of liberal leanings. But well, a couple things. You know, that same year of the Times endorsement in 2006, Record expressed his readiness to vote along party lines and not to have this like independent streak. Um, when he told the mainstream Republicans of Washington that he does what his leadership tells him to do, quote, you know, uh, when they say, Dave, we need you to take a vote over here because we want to protect you and keep this majority, I, I do it. Um, and though he's voted for the conservation efforts, basically, uh, he described his pro-environment uh, votes in um, that same speech as chess pieces or strategies to hold a seat in his his swing district. So he's worried. I mean, he's taking these votes for purely political reasons, just so he can keep his seat and pacify uh, liberals who might otherwise be alarmed at the fact that, you know, he's ready to cut the uh, Office of Congressional Ethics. He's ready, to, he's ready to vote for a scrub act so that we can massively deregulate the, quote, administrative state and vote to not see his Trump care. And basically, as we've talked about with record before, act as a rubber stamp for Donald Trump's and Ryan's and McConnell's agenda. I, I should just ask you just... Uh from the this, this standpoint of journalistic fairness, uh, have you reached out to his office for any comment on any of these things that you have uh, that you've written? Um, no, I haven't reached out for a comment on uh, the Scrub Act or the um, uh, or his recent um, or, or, or some of the things that uh, I, I mentioned in Riker Act or in, in Riker Watch. But uh, Jim Bruner of the Times asked about his response to voting for the health care bill. I, I, I asked about his response to the health care bill and in all of the things that I cite, all of the um, articles I cite in, in, in Reichert Watch, I reached out to comment. But they never, um, the, his uh, spokesperson never gets back to me uh, for comments, nor does anybody at his Issaquah office. And I think it all stems back to the earlier stuff this paper wrote about him, like before I came on. That is, um, during the time when Goldie, a person who used to write for this stranger, wrote about um, the time when Riker suffered a traumatic brain injury when uh, a tree branch fell on his head and that went untreated for two months. And I, I really think that Goldie's sort of pushing him on the whole, I think, you know, the suggestion that, that Riker's brain damaged maybe turned them off the stranger for a while. I, yeah, it might have. Yeah. I think, so. I think that that was a major problem. Yeah. Well, we will check back in with you, uh, Rich. And thanks as always for, uh, for coming on and, and talking with us. Oh, sure. Yeah, my pleasure. Time now for this week's call to action. But uh, first, let's let's have some good news, shall we? I have not come up with a name for this portion yet, but I will, rest assured. First, here at home, Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson filed a lawsuit against Trump's newly revised Muslim ban. He did this alongside other states' attorneys general from Oregon, New York, and Hawaii, as well as attorneys from the ACLU. Um, have I donated lately? Nope. Time to re-up. Uh, also, in addition to pretty much every Democrat in the House and Senate, a decisive number of conservatives are now defecting against the ACA replacement, henceforth known on this show as 
Trump Care for a variety of reasons, uh, reasons ranging from the bill is not restrictive or conservative enough to the very real possibility that it could wind up denying coverage to red state voters who have come to rely on it. And speaking of red states, newly appointed Secretary of Health and Human Service Tom Price's seat is now up for grabs in Georgia's 6th with a special election coming up. And John Ossoff is the candidate being championed by Indivisible. So keep an eye on that one and uh, donate if you can. That's kind of a call to action right there. But this is the real deal for this week. Wednesday is the Ides of Trump or the Trump of March or Whichever. Uh, I like it fine, except for the fact that Caesar is the tragic hero of his play, and Trump is just a straight-up villain, man. Anyway, uh, you have heard about this one already, so let's just dig in. Grab some postcards and send them to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue on March 15th. They're not answering their phones there, so let's just send them something they can't ignore, and that would be ideally millions of postcards. Will Trump see them personally? No. No, you will not. But you know who will see them if you send enough? The media. And you know who watches cable news? Well, there you go. I say we just have some fun with this one, gang. We may be out of power for now, but the thing that we always have on our side is our sense of humor. John Oliver, John Stewart, Sam B., and you. So put pen to paper or postcard and make it count. And that is this week's Call to Action. Well, our guests on the show this week are Gail Furman, Sylvia Oliver, and Jerry LeClaire, three very impressive principals of Spokane Indivisible. I had a number of questions for them, in particular about their region and how politics work there, and what it's like for them as progressive activists in a very red part of the state. Uh, but we started by asking each member to tell us a little about why he or she got involved with Indivisible, and we started with Gail. I'm a retired professor of education from Washington State University, and I have not been politically active in the past, but Following the election, like everybody else, I was deeply troubled, scared, frustrated, grieving. And somehow we found out about Indivisible. And I don't even remember how, Stefan, but we found out. So some friends and I, there were actually three of us, decided to start an Indivisible group. And we decided to recruit people to be part of a steering committee that would form the group and go from there. So that's what happened. And then uh, we were totally delighted to recruit Sylvia Oliver, who was a colleague of mine at WSU. Great. Well, then let's bring Sylvia into the discussion. Uh, So, Sylvia, I assume that you got involved with all of this for much the same reason that Gail did? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's just like everybody's whole world just completely... It was like we are in an alternate universe right now. It does feel that way. Yeah, it really does. I think it was so it was so horrifying was that it changed so dramatically overnight. So uh, that and 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 same thing is that I don't know exactly how uh, I found Indivisible, but I I had heard about that before. And then when Gail had talked to me about it and said that they were starting an Indivisible group, I went, oh, my gosh, that sounds great. 
Yeah. Uh, gives us something to do, a focus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it has been a way for people to channel a lot of their fear and frustration and anger uh, in, in a very effective way. So I think we're all pretty grateful that the, the movement exists. Uh, Jerry, I want to bring you in. Tell us uh, a little bit about uh, what your background is and how you came to be involved in the group. Uh, my background is 27 years of working at the Spokane Eye Clinic as a retina surgeon, uh, retiring in 2012 and thinking I was going to spend my life playing mandolin and dancing and skiing and hiking and biking and those sorts of things. That sounds great. <laughs> and then came along and I haven't skied this whole bloody winter. Yeah. <laughs> I, I ran into the Indivisible document as it's one of its embryonic PDFs on the internet somehow. And I read that and I went, oh, this makes sense. This really is the only place we can have any effect. And oh my God, we've got a representative here who certainly doesn't seem to represent me, but then I haven't spent any time trying to get in contact with her either. So I started to uh, do some research and I thought, why am I just keeping this research to myself? So I started sending it out to people I knew and asked them if they wanted to receive more. Many said they did. So that list has now grown to 95 people. And uh, I never signed up as an indivisible group. Um, <laughs> so, so I've got this little bevy of folks as far flung as Taiwan um, who get an email from me every morning after I've chewed on the news for the day before tried to condense it, tried to get my own thoughts together, tried to figure out what I think might make some one bit of sense to do that day. So there's a little bit of analysis, there's a little bit of what to do, and then there's sometimes there's a bit of a rant after that. So I just, as, as a point of clarification, you are or are not directly involved with uh, Spokane Indivisible? Well, I guess there's no there's no release for him to sign up to join. I guess I, <laughs> I guess I'm now, <laughs> I guess I'm part of the steering committee of Spokane Indivisible, but the email I write goes out to individuals and other steering committees uh, in North Idaho and northeastern Washington so far. So I I guess I, I consider my myself part of Spokane Indivisible, but I also consider that I have one foot out in the in the world more generally. So can you give me a, a number of how many people who are actually involved in the Indivisible group in Spokane? Yeah, so it, it's it's interesting because the the evolution um, of the of our group, uh, we first initiated an email like Jerry did. Um, and uh, to I you know, we sent out the email. We're now uh, over 220 on our email list. And then we started two Facebook pages. Uh, and this went with a, a group of uh, mostly retired women that most of us had never done or didn't do Facebook. So uh, we have a Facebook group page that now has uh, well over 200 uh, members in that uh, group and then a regular face public Facebook page. And so uh, our reaches, I, I would, I would say, our reach is almost over 500 at this point. So um, we it's, call it our it, base. Yes, and so you know, it's, it's the ripple effect, as you well know, and how important that is. Is that those people then take that and share 
you know, share the emails like Jerry's group, they share the emails. And so it's a, it, it really does have a wide reach. And, and we're now we're talking about uh, resistance 2.0 and uh, going to the next level uh, and seeing what other strategies we can as a group of very committed, bright people, uh, what we can do to affect change in our country. So I want to talk about some of the specific issues that you face where you are geographically. The eastern part of the state is much more conservative than the west. And I would imagine that doing progressive activism where you are comes with its unique share of challenges. I'd like to start by talking about the town hall in absentia that you held over the last recess for your congresswoman, a Republican, Kathy McMorris Rogers. Give us an idea of... What happened that night? Uh, as I understand it, she herself didn't show up, but she sent representatives, right? Yes, and that was actually put together by Fuse, mm-hmm. correct? F-U-S-E, right. Washington. Right. They were actually our guests on last week's show. So, okay. With whom we affiliate, coordinate as uh-huh. much as we can. Yeah, and Jerry, I- Jerry was there and I was there at that, at that town hall. And then there was another town hall that was smaller, that was uh, initiated by a uh, law student who's 23 years old, and uh, they got a, got a room at the library, and he organized this within a week, and the room was just packed, standing room, standing room only. Wow, that's great. The, it, it was just people making their voices heard, and we had a homeless vet the talk, we had an ER doc the talk, we had a fireman the talk, we had... Uh, we had two trans people talk. We had, uh, you know, mothers talk. And it was just so powerful to hear their voices. And they were speaking directly to, we call her CMR, and, and basically telling her how their lives are being impacted by what she is doing. Uh, at the national level, and she is not representing them. And so for the other event, the larger event, where you had 800 people turn out, the one that was sponsored by Fuse, the congresswoman declined to show up to the event. She sent representatives who told you that they were there just to take notes. Did they speak at all? No, they weren't. And they, they, they said from the very beginning that they were just there to take notes. So for those of us who are not familiar with the Congresswoman, give us an idea of her politics and her position in the district and in the Republican Party. Well, she's risen. She's been at it long enough. So she's risen into some so-called leadership positions in the Republican Party nationally. She's the chairwoman of the Republican caucus. And as such, she is the fourth most, ostensibly the fourth most powerful congressperson in Washington. Okay. She is very conservative. She historically votes the party line, whatever it is, and we try to track her votes with uh, GovTrack, and every vote that the Republicans uh, sponsor, she votes yes, yay, for. So that's her history. I should add one thing. She very rarely has actually posted a bill herself and I don't think she very often co-sponsors a bill. She, she tries more to work behind the scenes. The one bill that she was very proud of was a bill that she ended up getting through Congress that afforded a tax deduction or credit, I'm not sure which, for people uh, with children with disabilities. She has a son who has Down syndrome. Mm. 
Um, and I thought that was laudable, but on the other hand, it occurred to me that this was in some ways a little self-serving. And worse, it did not take into consideration that there are a lot of people out there who have that situation, who have very little income that they can benefit from such a um, a little handout. Which, yeah, seems a little tone deaf. Um, I, I want to talk with the three of you about the issues specific to your district that you have attempted to take up with the Congresswoman. Uh, I know that the ACA vote has been a big issue, and it's certainly with indivisible groups pretty much across the country. I assume that's on the list for your group, yes? That's a major one right now. We're extremely concerned. I would have to say it's my major focus, having just spent 27 years of my life as a practicing physician and and seeing what not having insurance does to people. Since you mentioned that, Jerry, what has your feeling been generally about the ACA uh, over the years of its implementation? Um, I think while it was going on and when I was not terribly politically active, people would come in and say, oh, well, I don't like this about the ACA and I don't like that. And I wasn't too crazy about electronic medical records. There were bits of it I didn't like either. So I would kind of grumble along with the patients. But by the same token, when I stand back from it and I look at what it was like before and then once it started in action... I was seeing patients who I didn't see before and who were getting to me before their diabetic retinopathy got so bad that I couldn't help them with it. And they were able to afford to do that because of the ACA is what you're saying. Exactly. And it's just those people who are going to be cut out by this AHCA so named, I think, to make it ever more confusing. <laughs> well, most people are calling it Trump Care at this point. So. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Uh, <laughs> but that 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 was the that's the terrible frustration that I'm feeling as I as I look at the provisions of this new bill. That they they say have one thing come out of their mouth about how no one's going to have the rug pulled out from under them. Well, they've set up the timing of this thing so that. Kathy McMorris-Rogers, I guess, isn't pulling the rug out swiftly. She's inching it out while the people sort of walk sideways and find they're standing on the bare floor. So we're talking about the ACA replacements. And what are the, what are some other issues that are central to the focus of Spokane Indivisible? Can you just uh, give us an idea of some of the other ones? Well, I, I think that, that two of the big ones that are coming up because everybody's focus has been on the ACA, but I think two of the biggest ones that are coming up, well, the Russia-Trump thing that will always, I mean, we are, we're always uh, asking people to call in about that. But the other, the other two would be, I think, the EPA, mm-hmm. right now the EPA, and then a, the uh, Department of Education and the dismantling of both of those. You mentioned the EPA, and I wanted to touch on that a little bit because I know that there are environmental aspects that are very popular with hunters and sportsmen. The district that I happen to live in is District 8, and it's represented by Congressman Dave Reichert. And while he may be conservative on a number of issues, he's actually pretty favorable when it comes to issues of the environment, uh, I think in large part because of that issue. I think there are a lot of you know hunters and sportsmen in his district, and they want to see a lot of these wildlife reserves kept. Uh, Do you see the same sort of sentiment out in eastern Washington? Well, there was a letter in the paper today, actually, addressing that issue. 
Um, and it was that uh, people who hunt and enjoy the outdoors are very much opposed to some of these bills they're passing to uh, allow hunting, you know, of wolves and bears from airplanes, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I think there's some of that going on, but I don't think it's very active. Well, I guess my question ultimately is, do you know where Kathy McMorris Rogers stands on the EPA issue? Oh, she's going to be oh, party line. She She'll just felt yes for every bill. Okay. Yeah. Now, have you met with her in person? Does she take in-person meetings? Uh, I met with her in person. This is Gail. Mm-hmm. And uh, during the recess, when she was not having town hall meetings, she had a couple of meetings. One was called Coffee with Kathy. And I think she may have held two of those where 10 people were allowed to attend. And somehow I got in, and I don't know how. If they knew my real affiliation, I would never have been allowed in. (laughs) What we found is um, the room was mostly progressive people. We all got to say what we were concerned about, and we were polite and respectful. My sense is she's very stonewall about this, and she also does not seem to uh, field questions well or really respond authentically uh, to your concerns or engage. It's just sort of a passive listening and then kind of repeating party lines. Does she have a comfortable margin? House members run every two years. Does she win by comfortable margins in your district? She has recently, yes. Um, The fellow that has run against her a couple of times is a lovely guy and very bright, but he doesn't have a great stage presence. And I think that has probably hurt him some. And he certainly hasn't had the backup that we hope to provide whoever the next person is to go up against her. Are you in contact with anybody from the Democratic Party out there who might be grooming somebody to run against her on the Democratic side? Um, Yes. A couple of people who have declared... Um, well, at least one has declared and one is thinking about it. Uh, the person who's declared is um, Ben Stuckert, who is currently the, is he called the president or the chair of the Spokane City Council? He's president. Yeah. President. Yeah. And any thoughts on him as a, as a candidate? Well, he's very experienced and he's, uh, you know, personable. So I don't know. Um, he might fare better as a speaker than, our, than the former opponent of her opponent. Joe Pacutis. This may surprise you, Stefan, but the Spokane City Council is uh, very progressive right now. I, I am surprised to hear that. Is is that uh, what do you attribute that to? Well, um, within this congressional district, City of Spokane is probably the the bluest, yep. <laughs> the most mm. progressive place in the in the county. But how it happens that is it five out of six or? Democrats, progressive Democrats. Oh, we got the majority on that. City Council? Yeah, City Council. Yeah, it's a majority. I think it's... Yes, yeah. all but one. But once you leave the Spokane area, then it tends to skew very Republican, is what you're saying. Yeah, God help you if you go to Spokane Valley. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk about some events that uh, you have coming up. And I will mention uh, you're holding town hall events on Saturday, March 10th, but they will have happened 
by Tuesday when this podcast comes out. And so we can't unfortunately billboard them, but I I would like to hear about what is being planned. Uh, And then I would also like to talk about the vigil to protect the ACA that you do have planned for the 18th, which we can billboard. Let's talk first about the event that you're going to be doing with 3rd District Senator Andy Billig, along with Representatives Marcus uh, Riccelli and Tim Ormsby. Can you give us an idea about who each of these state politicians are and what issues you plan to raise with them? Well, I think that, uh, you know, and this is basically a town hall on state issues and, and Indivisible has been primarily focused so much on the national. The, the, one of the bigger issues uh, is, of course, the McClary so it's a basic funding of education. And so, uh, like I tell people, Washington State has some of the biggest uh, businesses and industries in the universe. So that would be Amazon, Microsoft, Boeing. Sure. And we yet we cannot fund basic education. I think we're down either 49th or 50th in per pupil funding. We're really, really, really low. So um, that we cannot with those, you know, big, huge businesses and industries, we that bring in trillion, well, billions of dollars, anyway, billions of dollars cannot fund basic education. So basic education is one. And then uh, I think the restructuring of the taxes. Uh, so it's uh, all in. Fuse is doing a, an initiative called All In. And so that's a, a restructuring of the taxes in the state of Washington. I would love to see an income tax, but, uh, you know, graduated income tax because we are the most regressive in the mm-hmm. nation in our tax structure. Mm-hmm. So those were, and, and then it all comes back down to money, right? And uh, there are also bills before the state legislature, and I don't know if it's still before it, um, concerning uh, health care for all. There's a very oh, yeah, active right, right. Uh, lobbying going on by the health care for all people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know the fate of that bill, if it's ever gotten out of committee or not, uh, but that's certainly another issue. Just as... Uh, say the state of Massachusetts has developed a system that works for everybody in the state. It's possible in Washington state, you know, Mm -hmm. it just takes the will and the votes to do it. And so Mm -hmm. I would like to talk about some of the very specific challenges that you face doing what you're doing in a part of the state where I think the opposition is in greater numbers. Uh, First, I'm just curious to know if you see a lot of overt support for Trump in eastern Washington? Oh, that's hard to gauge. Um, You know, during the campaign, you did not see, you saw Trump signs, but I wouldn't say it was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And if you look at letters to the editor, most of them are in opposition to what Trump and the Republicans are doing. Um, That could be partly due to the fact that we've become so active in encouraging letters to the editor. So it's, it's a little hard to tell. I don't have a good good sense of that. Since you mentioned letters to the editor, a columnist named Sue Lenny Madsen, who writes for the Spokesman Review, said in a column essentially that the Indivisible Movement is an astroturf group. It's artificial outrage. How did you all respond to that? Well, Jerry didn't (laughs) respond. He wrote a letter to the editor right away. Jerry, you want (laughs) to... I wrote a letter to the editor, which may be published one of these days. Hopefully it won't be too stale by the time it actually appears in the paper. I also sent her an email suggesting that I, not suggesting, but saying that I was there and she did not, did not properly characterize it. She and I have had some back and forth in email 
about the Affordable Care Act. Uh, she's uh, very conservative. She seems to subscribe. If you look at the comments underneath her uh, on her web version of that posting that you're talking about, you'll find that she refers to George Soros. Right, and a lot of people on the right are alleging that George Soros and others are bankrolling the Indivisible Movement. Uh, did you all orchestrate a specific letter-writing campaign to respond to what this columnist had alleged? Well, we talked about it at our steering committee, of course, and, and in that sense we have. But Sylvia and I were just talking about this, and what we're going to do is contact uh, the editors uh, under whom she works. We've finally gotten those names, partly thanks to uh, Jerry there. And uh, we're going to try and have a meeting with them, our steering committee, to talk about the misrepresentation of this movement, and particularly, uh, well, our outrage at being called artificial outrage, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, and also to encourage them to, to do better coverage of this movement. I mean, there have not been good news articles on what the Indivisible Movement is about here in uh, this side of the state. So uh, we're going to encourage that, and so that's part of our response. Good. Well, we'll try and get the word out as best uh, that we can here in the podcast. Uh, Sylvia Oliver, Jerry LeClaire, and Gail Furman, thank you all so much for being on the show and also for all the work that you're doing. Yeah. Thank you, thank sir. You. And that is it for this week's Washington State Indivisible podcast. I thank you so much for listening. If you want to contact the show, please do. I always love to hear from you. The email address is WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Again, it is WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thank you again to Gail Furman, Sylvia Oliver, and Jerry LeClaire, and also to the strangers, Rich Smith. And thank you, as always, for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.